Welcome to Northside Community Church. We believe that our mission is to impact the community in a positive way by speaking and living out the good news of Jesus. We hope that you will enjoy this message today. We're going to be talking about worship this morning. And uh, it's, it's really challenging because are you aware that God does not talk too much about how exactly the formatting of worship is to be? He just tells us that we should worship him. We call this a worship service, right? Sunday morning, we have worship services. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God tells us exactly how to run the worship service. How many songs we are to sing? How many announcements we are to make? Uh, how many times a week we have to meet? We put Sunday first because that seems we can at least verify that in the early church when it first started, on the Lord's Day, the people met. We also know that there's a significance of the Sabbath day, the Saturday. The Sabbath is the Saturday. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's a day of action. You want to rest? Rest Saturday. Sunday, serve the Lord. Put energy into what God asks you to do. Well, already I know that when I said that, there's a few people that are wondering if I'm on the right track um, and where am I going with this. I'm just saying there's a lot of opinions on how to run church, how often to meet, what to sing, how many prayers are we to pray, what are our responsibilities with regard to our activities. And, you know, the thing is, it really doesn't clearly spell out for us in God's book Right, what we are to do with all of that. Now, does that put you at ease or does that make you a little bit edgy with regard to what does that mean for us? I want to just talk this morning a little bit about not only uh, that we are called to worship the Lord, but some of the other things concerning what we do and how we go about that. Let's turn our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John chapter 4. By the way, every church has certain traditions and certain ways of doing things, correct? Um, I remember I, I was raised in a very conservative church background, not that I attended very often, but I, I became acquainted with the running of the service. And so I knew that when others stood up, I stood up as a young person and when others sat down, I was hoping that I would take enough notice to sit down when they sat down and not the last man standing and get embarrassed. Um, I knew that at the end of the service, the pastor headed for the door and I thought at first that he was going to an early lunch, but he was actually waiting there to see if he can shake as many hands as he could. Well, I mean, when, you, when you're a little bit ignorant of all of those traditions, Everything is fresh and it's new and it's kind of like, why do they do this and why do, do they do that? Some of you that have come to this church way back, um, you would have been maybe surprised to see people lifting their hands. Now in this church, it, we encourage the lifting of hands. But why? Why do we encourage that? Why has that become a tradition? We clap. 
We clap our hands. So this is our worship service. We're worshiping the Lord, but we clap our hands. And by the way, those of you that still haven't got accustomed to doing that, I've got my eyes on you. I know where you're sitting. No, not really. But why do we do things like that? Where in the Bible does it tell us to do that? By the way, it is very biblical to clap your hands. The Bible does teach us to clap our hands and to raise our voice and so on. But when God talks about worshipping him, by the way, do you know that not for a long time, if you start reading the book of Genesis, not for after many pages and happenings, do we confront the issue of worshipping God? You might say, well, surely it was right there at the beginning. Well, read your Bible. When was the worship of God by people first mentioned in the Bible? And when it gets mentioned, does it clearly spell out how we are to do it? Now, that's some homework for you. You go ahead and do it. Now, knowing what and who you worship is very important. And it's not just who you worship, but it is what you worship. That's what the Bible does talk about. What you worship and who you worship. Um, well, we are called in, let's go to the New Testament in John chapter 4. Remember Jesus, when he was speaking to the woman of Samaria, he said to worship, he spoke about worshiping the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. It's got to be genuine. It can't be based on what you like or what I like. You know, I, I, I get a bit nervous when I hear in church comments like or, or a statement like, just worship the Lord in the way that makes you feel comfortable. Where do we get that from? The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible tells us there are times we've got to do things that make him feel comfortable. That is according to what he wants of us. We don't tell our children when they come, when they're, they're young and they come to the dinner table, oh, listen, you just eat, yeah, use your fingers, you use a knife and foot, just whichever way it makes you feel comfortable. No. We have, in, and God's family runs on what pleases the Father. How is the Father honored? Um, by the way, I do this or don't do this. So we worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I want to give you a little clue as to what uh, this may be connected with and um, uh, what we're talking about here so far. If you go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, now we, we know this passage, and by the way, a lot of the, the scriptures that I'm referring to and pointing out to you um, are ones that are very familiar. You remember someone came to Jesus and testing Jesus, asked the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, what? What did he say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to suggest that in principle, this is how we worship God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, with all our mind. We worship the Lord with sincerity. We worship the Lord in a way that will honor him. That's why when every now and then you have some cultish um, group 
they begin to teach a certain expression of worship within their church service and it just doesn't seem godly. It seems carnal or it seems undignified. It seems too far out there that puts the emphasis on what we do and what we want to do to make some sort of a exhibition rather than God teach us what is pleasing to you. Not only do we want to worship, but Lord, we want to worship in a way that is pleasing to you, that honors you. Now, the Father, according to John 4 and the words of Jesus, he seeks true worshipers. Now, that suggests that you can worship God in a way that is not true, in a way that is not straight, in a way that is not acceptable. There's a challenge there, isn't there? Well, I, I, I pray that we will always be a church that hungers for the truth of the things that we do and are we pleasing to him in the way we express ourselves. The Father seeks true worshippers. Jesus is the focus of our worship, the one who reveals the Father. Now, that's what he was saying to the woman of Samaria. We know the story. We've heard it many times, I'm sure, before. Looking at the hows and wheres and the whys of worship. Well, it's a big subject. Are we, are we a church that is doing it all correctly? I'm not sure whether we, we've, we can ever boast or any church can boast and say, you know what, we're the church that's doing it the right way. You really want to worship God, you're going to have to come to our church and, and look at the way we do things and that's the way it needs to be done. I remember a famous West Australian preacher, actually, years ago. He's going to be with the Lord. And he was quite dogmatic on certain things concerning the way to worship. He had experienced quite a touch of God's spirit in, a, uh, in another place. And he just felt that he was going to bring revival to the city. And, and boy, he was really spot on on a number of things. But with the way of doing it, he became very one-eyed, not realizing that his pronouncements of this is the right way was actually alienating himself from other members of the body of Christ. To, and it was sad when we saw that happening. Not every church worships the same way. Not every church has the same format. But there are consistencies, there are things that we can do together where we, within the body of Christ, we can worship God in a way that does honor his word and where we can bless the Lord together. Now, how many of us have heard of W.E. Vine? He wrote a commentary many years ago, became a great source of study and so on. Uh, and many, the kingdom of God around the world has great appreciation of and respect for W.E. Vine. And we learned a lot from his writings when we were in Bible school. He wrote something that I read some time ago, and I found it just this last week. And uh, I want to quote from his book and uh, just present it to you so that we've got a, a bit of support for what I've just said, because I do believe he's quite a, uh, a great Bible teacher. The worship of God, and I'm quoting W.E. Vine, the, the worship of God is nowhere defined in Scripture. Now, when I read that for the first time some time ago, I thought, no, that can't be true. Surely, 
It is defined in Scripture and by Scripture. But even this week, as I've been looking and thumbing through my Bible and investigating just how to go about our worship and our processing of all of this, I realized how true a comment that is. The worship of God is nowhere defined. Now, it is taught about, it is presented in the Scripture, is not actually defined in Scripture. And just hang with me on that one, all right? Don't let that one go, because I will help us together as a church to see some of this. It is not confined. So I'll give you an example. In fact, I think we should break into the service right now, and let's have a time of worship. Now, as soon as I said that, what went through your mind? We're going to have a time of worship now. Hmm? Exactly. But the Bible doesn't define worship as singing. Singing can be part of worship. We understand that. But what if we were to say, according to the word of God, that worship encompasses everything about us and what we do? Everything. It's sad that we have restricted our understanding or confined our understanding of worship to singing songs. So in other words, if we, if we don't sing, that church doesn't worship the Lord. Well, give me chapter and verse on that, please. Because you won't find one. You won't find one. The worship of God is nowhere defined in Scripture. It is not confined to praise. Broadly, it may be regarded as the direct acknowledgement of God. Now listen. The direct acknowledgement of God, of His nature. Right? Are you thinking about this? Direct acknowledgement of God, of His nature. The attributes, the ways and claims, whether by the outgoing of the heart in praise and thanksgiving or by deed done in such acknowledgement. Now, we haven't got time to really dissect all of this. So how do we worship God? There are so many different ways. So, for example, uh, and I I hope I kind of push a little bit on this this morning uh, in an acceptable way. Um, What if you were the best singer of choruses and hymns and whatever that this church has and and that's your designated place boy that that man really knows how to worship god really knows how to praise god uh you should hear him sing in, in on sunday and by the way i'm talking about somebody out there i'm not talking about anybody that's on the worship team necessarily but then you did business with that man during the week and discovered that that man was dishonest in the way he ran his business What sort of a worshipper is he really? Or is he just making noise in the church? Maybe he's singing beautifully because he loves to hear his own voice. Um, So what is worship then? If we're saying worship is singing, you, you can sing. But what does God see and what does God hear? So worship has got to be more than these things. Worship of God, not confined to praise. Broadly, it may be regarded as the direct acknowledgement to God 
of his nature, attributes, ways and claims, whether by the outgoing of the heart in praise and thanksgiving or by deed done in such acknowledgement. In Acts chapter 17, we have a passage there that I think is really worth considering when we're talking about worship and what happened in the early church there. So go to Acts chapter 17, and, and, and I'm reading from verse 22. Now, many of us may be familiar with 17. That's where, you know, the Bereans get mentioned uh, from time to time. They received. Anyway, there you go. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. But go to verse 22. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, so he's in Athens. Now, Athens is not Jerusalem. Athens is where the Gentiles, the worldly, sinful, people that were living lives that were not pleasing to God at all. And Paul goes there and he begins to preach there. And this is what he says, men of Athens, he's an outsider. He's bringing Christianity to uh, Greece, to Athens there. Okay, now let's pick it up. Where did I get to? Um, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. The, the, uh, the accusations of people being religious have been going on for 2,000 years and longer. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your... Objects of worship. Now he targets their objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. You know, Paul, Paul's a fairly clever guy, isn't he? he? He it's like when Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria. What did he talk about with water? Why? Because that's why she was there. So, so Paul is now in Athens, and these Athene, Athenians, all right, they, they were accustomed to worshipping objects of worship, and to make sure they don't offend any of their gods that they refer to, they even had a god set up, the unknown one, because we don't want to offend someone in case we miss them out. Maybe there's another one, and we don't really know who this other one is, so let's have an idol to the unknown one, and that will please the unknown one as well, because we want them to be included as well, the unknown ones. Okay. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar uh, that said to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. What a great story and a great event this is. Think about this. What a great way for us to talk to other people about the Lord. Let me talk to you about what you don't know. Let me talk to you about what you're not familiar with. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and so on. And he went on. The point here is that the early church knew that for the gospel to penetrate the hearts of people, they had to present God in a way that wasn't just acceptable according to their culture or their way of, of doing, doing certain things, but that it would shock them into the realization that there was an almighty God 
that wants to confront them with the things, their, their attitudes, their habits, their practices, the way they went about things and so on. And we might say, well, didn't, didn't Paul talk about the love of Christ for them? Oh, he did, but he also taught them about repentance and turning to God. When we worship God, we are acknowledging who he is and we are acknowledging that we are subject to him. I don't know whether it's in here somewhere or later on I'll refer to it, where it talks about um, repentance. Repentance is when you turn away from the things that take you away from worshipping God. By the way, when we looked at the other uh, uh, comment here about, uh, about worshipping, how many objects of worship do we find around about us? How many objects of worship do I have in my life? We've all heard the famous love sermons about, you know, I love my wife, I love my cat, I love my dog, I love my car, I love my job, I love, and I love, I love, I love, I love, and then I, oh, you know, I love God. And we put it all together, we bundle it all up, and that's life. Just loving people and things and whatever else. Well, of course, we've learned that the word love means different things and can be contextualized differently. But here Paul addresses them about the things, your objects of worship. It doesn't have to be an idol. Whatever takes your time, your love, whatever you eat and breathe and sleep, how many of you know of people, the moment you meet them, all they, they can't stop talking about a particular thing? They can't stop talking about this or that or whatever else. And it captivates them. You know, they're thinking about this thing all the time, this object all of the time. Now, in verse 30, it says, God commands all people everywhere to what? To repent. You've got to turn around from that. If we're going to be worshippers of God, we need to move away from the things that captivate us so much that it keeps us and prevents us from really giving God the best, which he deserves, by the way. And here it talks about how he created all things and gave, gives us the context of why God alone has the right to be worshipped. There is nothing in the world that deserves to be worshipped outside of God himself. Now, you can love certain things. I value certain things. Um, but do I worship that? No. Does it mean I can't value things? I love, I love things of beauty. If I had lots of money, I can tell you some of the things that I would go out and buy. Why? Because I love those things. But I don't worship them. You can love things. Some of us have got things in our homes and we value them greatly, but we don't worship them. We may be pleased that we have, we are in possession of those things. Some blokes worship their cars, especially if they're Toyota Land Cruisers. I think I'm pretty safe because there aren't many men that don't love Toyota Land Cruisers. But there'd be something wrong if you worship that Land Cruiser. Does that make sense? Is there something wrong with loving your Land Cruiser? No. If I had a Land Cruiser, I would love it. I wouldn't worship it. 
And it wouldn't keep me away from doing the things that God has called me to do. It wouldn't keep me away from those priorities in my life. So, objects of worship. Abraham. You remember when God came to Abraham and said to Abraham, by the way, this is one of the first places in the whole Bible where it talks about worship like this. First place. Hundreds of years have gone by. And God is picking up, picking up on this. And so God speaks to Abraham. This is Genesis 22. Take your only son. Not just any son or a hireling that is working for you. Take your only son. God knew that Abraham had only one. It's a bit like God. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten. It's the only one. And God goes on and says to rub it in, he says to Abraham, who you love. In other words, he's saying this is going to hurt. I'm going to ask for more than you are willing to give. Your only son. And you love him so much, I know. And he asks him to put him on the altar. You know, when Abraham took Isaac up the hill and he's, he says to his servants, Abraham, and these are great words. Think about this. We will go and we will worship. Because Abraham could see the significance of what God was asking him to do. He wasn't just asking him to give something up for giving something up's sake. But this was going to be the biggest act of worship. I've written down in my notes here the challenge of values. Life is full of choices and we choose, don't we? And sometimes we choose what is not so easy to decide on. But it's a choice that needs to be made, the challenge of... See, what we say, there are things that we say no to. Can I, can I tell you what the biggest, the biggest challenge of Christian living is? Are you ready for this? It's not what you say no to, because that's what we preach. That's what was preached when we were growing up as kids, young people. Oh, you can't do this, and you, you can't go there. Oh, no, 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 you can't do that, and you can't, and, and this is not good for you, and that's sin, you know, if you go down that path or whatever. Can I tell you what the big challenge is? It's not what you say no to. Are you ready for this? Remember this, write it down. It's what you say yes to. Because no, a lot of the no things will take care of themselves if you will say yes to the right things. Many of you know that one of my heroes is, what's his name, Bonhoeffer, during World War II. And if you haven't read his biography yet, please do. It's, it's worth buying the book. I haven't memorized the quote, but I can tell you roughly what he was saying, and that was this. We should be Christians so busy doing what God has called us to do, we haven't even got time to consider doing anything else. And a lot of men and women sin because they're giving sin too much consideration. If we were all so busy serving and loving and doing and caring and all of those ministry things, I haven't got time to sin. 
I haven't got time to do the wrong things. I haven't got time to... Does that make sense? Let's be those kind of people. All right, let's move on here. Moses, God said to Moses, let my people go so that they may worship me. Now, that was a long time ago, that they may worship me. God also says, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. During that time when God was bringing the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This is the conversation between the Egyptian rulers and Pharaoh and so on, and God and Moses and so on. Do you know that there is a distinction between the followers of Christ and those that don't follow? And if people can't see the difference, maybe we need a little bit of a wake-up call. There's got to be a distinction. There's so much that I've written down here. The lost son return is celebrated. Luke 15, let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was what? Dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. See, there was a distinction between being lost and found. And when we, when we come to church, when we worship God, we do it because we recognize God has come into my life, and from the day I let him in, my life changed. I'm not the same. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And the lost son coming back was celebrated. Worship, I want to close with this. When we come together as a church, what are some of the significant and specific words that we should have in mind. First of all, we come together to worship. But what does that mean? Well, it means to give him priority. It means to give him the value that he that belongs only to him. Some of you have heard me say this over the years, the word worship, worship, worship is based on the word worth. How much do I value God? Years ago, a few years back, I was preaching in a country church and um, I, uh, anyway, I preached on the value of going to church. <clears throat> and I said this, I said, do you know when you start your car on a Sunday morning and you drive out of your driveway, you're making a statement to your neighbours because they know where you're going. They know you're going to church. But they also know when you sleep in and don't go to church because you want to watch the footy on Sunday. We make all kinds of statements, the values that we put on, on things. Uh, people say, well, I, I don't know how to witness for the Lord. Just look at how you're living. <laughs> because we come together to worship, to, to put the value where it belongs, to serve one another and to celebrate I want to thank the few of you. There weren't many, just a few. I don't know why you others didn't do this, but you came to me this morning before the service started and you said, we missed you. It's nice to be missed. We missed you. It's nice to be valued and it's nice to worship God together knowing that we're sitting and standing beside others 
who are of such value to the kingdom of God and to my life. I could name the people that said to me this morning, I missed you. And the few that said, oh, I didn't miss you, couldn't care. Oh, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> that didn't happen. Expressions of worship, and I close with this. I love the book of Psalms. If you want a good pick-me-up pill, a gospel pill, go to the book of Psalms. Remembering that David agonized over the things in his life that were sinful yet still. Read the book of Psalms. If you have trouble understanding worship, get into the book of Psalms. Start there and God will lift you up. You will read stuff. You'll read the word of God. It's spirit, it's life. It will change you. And then I want to go to the book of Revelation in closing. Because, friends, heaven is going to be full of worshipping the one who saved us, who redeemed us, who gave his life for us, and we will worship him forever. If you don't like coming to church now, you will not like heaven it's going to be a foreign place to you. And I'm, I'm saying that, you know what I'm doing. I'm saying that a bit tongue-in-cheek. But heaven is going to be full of worshipping our Lord, our Saviour. You want to get to know the Father? What did Jesus say? Get to know me. In me, you'll see the Father. People go through this thing of, well, Jesus and Father and whatever else. You know, some things you can leave to God and let God untangle. That is one doctrine that God doesn't get phased over. Because he knows who he is. He's the great I am. He knows who the Son is, Jesus our Saviour. And he knows who the Holy Spirit is. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And they are one together. So I close with this. Um, I'll throw in a bit of an ad here. Uh, in Revelations chapter 4, in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Wow, these are interesting beings. The first living creature was like a what? A lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, if you've never heard this before, this is the beginning of when the Foursquare Gospel was being preached. And it was, it was referred, Ezekiel, you remember the Ezekiel, the vision in the book of Ezekiel, the same. And these four creatures that are described as a, an ox, a man, a flying eagle, and a lion represented the four ministry aspects of Jesus himself. Okay, that's for another day. And... And, and, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. And what do they do? And they worship him. They worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne and say, 
You are worthy. You know, there is nothing of greater value in heaven than Jesus. Streets of gold. Gold becomes meaningless. And someone once said years ago that heaven is where Jesus is. That's it. The rest becomes meaningless. We worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy. You are worthy. So here is how we're going to finish uh, the message. Would you please stand uh, right now? And before I hand it back to, I think it's Luke or whoever, uh, they can come in a minute. But I want you to do something. And I want to kind of jar you a little bit, just give you a little bit of a push or uh, elbow you or whatever. I want to encourage us for just a short period of time. We're talking seconds, not even minutes. And I want you to begin to worship the Lord. I don't want to see a musician move a muscle. I don't want to see a worship leader up here. Now, I do in a minute because we love it. We love all that. But I want to just kind of rock you a little bit and say, Lord, give me a fresh understanding, insight, revelation of what it is to worship you. So let's spend a few, let's make it seconds, not necessarily a long time. And you just begin to worship the Lord. By the way, we started off in the book of Psalms. And you know what was interesting when we started there? It was being reminded of what God has done for us. That's worship. You can do that in your bedroom at home. You can do that out in the field somewhere. Thank the Lord for what he's already done for you. You don't have to sing it. You don't have to recite it. You don't have to quote it. You just lift your heart up before the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, for you have done this for me. And for those of you that have never given your life to the Lord Jesus, I want to encourage you as you're standing in the presence of God, why don't you give your life to him? You can start there today and say, Lord, I give you my life. Because I want to be a worshipper. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to be honest with you, Lord. I want to bless you and praise you today before I leave this building. I want to say something to you that honors you and that blesses your name. You know, there are people here maybe today where you've wandered away from the Lord. You're not walking with the Lord. He's walking over there and you're walking over here, but you're not walking together. Why not say to the Lord, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. I want to walk with you and not be distant from you. And so, Lord, I worship you today. Thank him for something. Bless him. Jesus, thank you for coming, for dying for me. Lord, I worship you. I value you more than anything else. And I'll bless your holy name. You mean everything to me. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And for those of you that are brave enough to do this, before you leave the building, give someone a hug and say,
I love you. And bless them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, would you bless us in a moment? We're going to go and have a cup of tea and coffee. But we do want to worship you and be a true worshiping church. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to allow this message and the word of God to sink in and make a difference in your everyday life. To know more about our church, check us out online at northsidechurch.com.au.